Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we've got an important guest on today because as uh, our listeners know and people who watch, uh, parent loss, even an older parent, is a hard thing. And one of our biggest visits on our site happens to be parent loss, doesn't it, Heidi? It does, Mom. And, you know, an adult that loses a parent is a big search for Mm -hmm. us. And I think we said before the show, you know, just because somebody has lived a long life doesn't mean you don't miss them. I mean, the thing about losing a parent is you don't know your, your world without them. You, you've, you've lived your whole life with your parents. And when they die, it is a completely new territory for us, no matter how long they've lived. So, Absolutely. Um, and communication is so important. And we've got a yeah. guest today from the University of Rochester School of Nursing, which is where I graduated from. And uh, she is going to be talking to us about talking with bereaved families. You want to introduce her, Heidi? Yes, I would love to, from your old stomping grounds. Um, <laughs> we are going to be talking today, as you said, about bereaved families, and we're going to be talking with Dr. Sally Norton. Uh, Sally is a fellow of the Hospice and Palliative Care Nurses Association and the American Academy of Nursing. In 2017, she was honored with the Distinguished Research Award, and as you said, she has lost her father, and she just recently lost her aunt. So welcome to the show, Sally. Oh, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. What about me? If I've lost a family member, I didn't do hospice. I didn't have any preparation. You know, uh, I'm out there wondering now about communication, about grief and loss. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, what, what kind of things do I need to do to communicate? What have you found? Well, I think um, one of the most important things that I found is that, is that people often second guess what happened. Um, and they feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done something or I should have done something. And, and I think it's such a big area and we do very little to prepare people for the experience, right? So um, I think people often look back on it and actually use maybe hospice or a perception of hospice as, oh, that's the gold standard and think if I didn't do that, um, you know, maybe something didn't, I could have done something different. So I think a lot of it is, is to uh, talk with people and to have them cut themselves some slack about however the experience went. Um, and then I think one of the things that I know has been helpful to my sisters, now I happen to be the healthcare person in the family, so I'm sure all of us have roles like that, Or, but also many of us know people, is to talk to about it with a good friend, a trusted friend, um, talk about your experience. I know, uh, for example, when my grandmother died, my mom was pretty sure um, that we had hastened her death. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother died at 96, and actually she had um, end-stage heart failure. She was 96, and she was having trouble breathing. Um, and what you do when somebody's having trouble breathing is, is you try to alleviate their shortness of breath, and often you give them morphine. And, but they are also dying, and often um, in that instance, you're not hastening death, but you're making the death that's happening more comfortable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my mom 
that nuance was a bit lost on her. She left that experience thinking that she had done something that that um, hastened my grandmother's death. So um, I didn't realize that at the time. And when she was talking to me and processing it, those were the questions that she was second guessing. Um, so I think finding a good friend who has some experience in the healthcare arena or you know, reaching out to other sources, it's good um, to talk with people about uh, your understanding because there are often misconceptions about um, what you may have done or what you may not have done or what could have happened differently. So that's a good first start. And you were talking about, you mentioned the words healthcare there. You know, can I go to the healthcare workers that took care of my family member? Can I go to hospitals? I mean, I don't think people feel empowered after a loss, after a death to go and find out what happened if it was in in some kind of a hospital setting or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think um, it, I think probably the best place to start is if you had a primary care provider that was taking care of your loved one. So somebody that has a little bit longer relationship, um, those folks are almost always um, able to get the information that, that would be really helpful to reconstruct maybe what happened and to answer your questions about um, how, how the events played out and what could have been different, might have been different. But um, so that's a really good place to start. Starting if it was an emergency room visit, um, that gets a little bit more complicated because sometimes it's difficult to find someone who um, really knew your loved one really well, like um, mm. a primary care provider would. So I would, I try to tell people to start with their primary care provider. Um, I know that I had follow up with my dad's oncologist after he passed. Um, and partly she gave me her number and she wanted me to call her. I think this particular physician also, um, she had known my dad for a while. So she felt comfortable. I know in Often in hospice and palliative care, there'll be a follow-up email, follow-up letter, follow-up phone call, um, because it's often about six weeks after, after the really acute, immediate grieving process that these questions start to kind of rise up and bubble up. And then it's just really good to recognize that people are going to have them, and um, there are sources of folks that you can reach out to that can um, help you sort through what happened. You know, if you had a bad experience with a physician, I would not go back to that person, right? That is, that is the last person I would reach out to if I really needed to kind of talk through this. Because when you're doing that, right, you're, you're feeling vulnerable, you're feeling at risk, and you don't want to do that with a jerk. I wanted to get into a little bit about conversations, uh, you, the major things you've learned in your research, because uh, someone's had a loss now, and let's see what we can do with our next losses if we're able to um, make them maybe go a little smoother. So give us some of your thoughts on that. Um, I think, you know, one of my most recent studies, I talked to um, uh, 95 uh, family members who had taken care of a um, their family member who was dying of cancer. And they talked to me about their experiences. And um, an easy way to sort of think about this, you know, when you're living with someone, when it's your life, it is a developmental process, right? You have a long trajectory. And our healthcare systems are set up sort of transsexually or, um, oh, well, if you're in acute care, you're here. If you're in primary care, you're here. 
And we put people into different boxes, not really thinking that these folks are, are traveling between uh, issues. And I think one of the biggest issues we have in, in cancer care sometimes is, uh, and this actually happens uh, with my dad, um, but when, um, when patients become, get worse and when cancer treatment no longer gonna, um, is not going to cure them, it may extend their life. Um, but sometimes we're not really good about, about that conversation. We're not really clear. So if I say to you, well, this treatment, it's going to treat your cancer. Sometimes a, someone can walk away with that thinking, oh, okay, they can still treat my cancer. I'm going to get better. Um, so physicians and nurse practitioners and others in the healthcare arena are trying to get much better and having conversations about what that really means, what your future holds. Um, and I, those conversations are very difficult and they don't happen uh, as they don't always happen. And when it doesn't happen, I think that we run into, um, for example, this is the minority of cases, the majority of cases of the uh, caregivers I spoke with um, felt that their clinicians and their physicians communicated really well, and often they transitioned to hospice. They knew the end was coming. So there's this really understanding all along. They're on the same page. Mm -hmm. uh, what can happen is if you're not on the same page as, as the clinician, um, and they say something to you like, well, we're gonna take a little chemotherapy break. That often means is your body can't tolerate more chemotherapy right now. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means that you need a break and you're gonna come back. But sometimes it's a way to sort of say, oh, well, we're not gonna treat you for your cancer right now. And the clinician may hope that you're, um, you become physically able to tolerate cancer treatment, which is really aggressive, um, but it's likely that you aren't. So that's the, those are the conversations that fall through the gaps. So when somebody was on a vacation and they were home, um, and then they got seriously ill. They went to the emergency room and often had very um, intensive interventions and pretty horrible experiences um, uh, until they realized that what their oncologist may have been telling them is that, that this is not a survival illness, survivable illness and you're really at the end of life. Wow, so we really need to be clear, is what you're right. saying, clear with everybody, have those conversations. But the problem is, as I think you were saying earlier when we were talking to you years ago, nurses uh, weren't prepared at all for grief and loss, and maybe we're doing a better job today. But the problem is, as I see it, is you've got to personally feel that way. Yeah. It's hard. To, I mean, everybody isn't good grief support or good loss support or you know right i think people get in the wrong slots or i don't know what's your thought on that heidi i i agree i don't think everybody is good grief support and i think that one of the things about grief and even dealing with guilt over maybe i did things wrong is we have to be able to acknowledge and and validate and sit with people's guilt mm -hmm. rather than always arguing them out of it and saying no you shouldn't feel that way Right. You didn't do anything wrong. You did everything right. Well, you know what? They still have this guilt. So maybe we need to let them express it before we get to the, the educational piece. Yes. What are yes. your thoughts, Sally? It sounds like I, I think that, um, okay, 
So I've probably just been busted as, as a clinician who wants to just, you know, move on to the next thing. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, no, but I think you're absolutely right. You, it's, it's to make that space um, so that you can sit with people as, as they process, as they go through the emotions. And, you know, uh, it's um, what we also know from the research, sitting down with someone and spending five minutes seated next to them really connecting feels like 20 to that um, patient or the caregiver and it really isn't it doesn't take you any longer as a clinician so one of the things we're really working on is is to help clinicians just um slow down enough to really be mindful of the conversation that um they're engaged in with with the patient or with the patients and family because hospitals or really busy primary care practice, it's super easy to become unmindful. Um, you, you, things are happening so quickly, there's so much noise, there are so many distractions, your pager goes off. So I think that um, it is one of the things that we're really working on with clinicians to try to help them do a better job at really being there when they are there, really being there with patients and families. Well, thank you. And, and you know, one of the things that occurs to me is not only you're talking to clinicians what's needed to happen, but to family members too. Let's all sit there, listen, Maybe uh, we don't have to always try to find solutions to things. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and for all the great work you're doing. And I'm sure you're uh, educating many people to help out with that grief loss. And Well, and um, thank you so much for having me and all the great work you're doing, So, um, which is vast, right? And um, reaching millions of people to try to help people through uh, a difficult time period for most of us. We want to thank everybody for watching and listening to the show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.